Well, good morning. Uh, so this past week, um, I was up in Vancouver and with Makarios, and we, it was fun taking you know, two long flights up there and two long flights down, and uh, that meant I loaded up his um, little, little kid's iPad with a lot of TV shows and movies, and we were able to watch that. And then that also meant that I was able to watch that too. So there was a bunch of movies I caught up on, one of them being Justice League. It's been, I'm more of a Marvel guy, uh, but I love, you know, Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman, all that stuff. So I finally was able to watch it. And it was interesting throughout the movie uh, to see how Batman and Superman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Flash, that each of them in and of themselves were superheroes and could do a ton of things. But the only way that they could have come and, and, and defeated the villain in, uh, in Justice League was to actually come together. They had to actually work together because by themselves it wasn't enough. Now, as I was looking through that and thinking about the message that we have, that, that we're going to be talking about, the core value of the plurality and leadership that we value here at the fellowship, I, I, I couldn't just, I, I couldn't, you know, I, I was just really thinking through it. And I was like, you know, in reality, just like the movie showed us, the bigger the task, the, most, the more critical the mission, the more important the consequences, it's often harder for us to go about it ourselves. And just like we saw in that movie, as much as it's just a movie, um, it really does illustrate an important principle that we see in our lives, the importance of one another, the importance that we have for the team. Now, last week, we looked at the power of strategic multiplication and the wide-reaching impact of Paul's ministry. He mentored others, he reproduced himself in others, which led to a fuller realization of the kingdom of God in everyone's lives. And, and when you look at the life of Aquila and Priscilla, they poured themselves into the talented yet uninformed Apollos. Right? What's astounding is that Aquila and Priscilla were tent makers by trade and they were discipled by Paul. They weren't dynamic preachers that astounded everyone, that, that caused everyone to ooh and awe whenever they spoke. That was, I mean, that was Apollos. And when they met Apollos, they heard that gift in them. And, and the thing is, they weren't threatened by it. It didn't cause them to think, well, you know, we've got to get better so that one day we can be better than that guy and, and beat him out of his job. You know, they didn't say, hey, hey, we, we know more about the gospel than this guy. They didn't respond in that way at all. They were confident in whom God had made them to be. They weren't chasing a platform. They weren't chasing the supposed validation that we were maybe supposed to get or, or that our society strives to. They understood that they were validated in Jesus. They understood that about God's love for them, that just as we sang in that song, um, that, that reckless, that relentless love that God has for us. They were normal, hardworking, God-fearing people like you and I. They weren't the type of biblical heroes that we hear about, uh, but they were the kind of heroes that our kingdom needs more of. They knew that their call was to invest in a young and eloquent, yet not fully informed preacher, who one day, um, you know, he was gifted and called and, and would rise to that platform, they recognized that we all have a role to play in the body, that every single one of us have an equally important part to play 
in the body of Christ. And that's the value. That's, that is what the core value of plurality and leadership is all about and what we are all about here at the fellowship. So if you have your Bibles, let's open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, or if you have your app, uh, open up to 1 Corinthians 12, verse, uh, verse 12, starting from verse 12. And, and what we're going to do in this passage is walk through this and walk through a few other ones and just really dig through and unpack what it means to share in leadership and what that means for us as a church um, to value plurality in leadership. All right? Well, let's pray. Father, we give you our hearts, we give you our attention, we give you our lives, our, our, our giftedness, our strengths and our weaknesses and our, our shortcomings and our area of, areas of anxiety and, and, all, and, and all and everything that we think about serving, God, and, and, and what you are calling us to. God, we offer that all to you and, and we ask that you would speak to us. God, we ask that you would change us. We ask that you would... Uh, do the kind of work in our hearts that only you can do. So may we have ears to hear the word that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now when you look at this passage, Paul likens the church to the human body. And he actually draws a lot of parallels between the church and the human body. And as you see here, and as we'll read here in 1 Corinthians 12... Uh, Paul is really close to this church because this was written to the church in Corinth, right? To a particular church. And so when Paul was reading this, right, when he was writing this, it's, it's really a, we, we're, what, what we see is that we're seeing only one side of the conversation, right? Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. So anytime he addresses something, it's not just something he's waxing eloquently about. He's actually addressing something specific to the church in Corinth that he is addressing in a different way in, you know, the letter to the Ephesian church or to the Philippian church or, or the, you know what I'm talking about? So, so when, we, when we look at this and when we read through the scriptures, we need to understand, okay, Paul, yes, all of this uh, all of God's Word is inspired, and the Lord wants to speak to us in and through this, but to understand the context, we need to understand, hey, he's actually writing in a specific time and in a specific place. So it's fascinating because when you read through what Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians 12, we see that there's particular strongholds, cultural strongholds that he's up against. And what we read here in verse 12 and onwards is that Paul is trying to lovingly correct, lovingly instruct the church in Corinth uh, in, 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 what, in and through what they are actually struggling with. And what they're struggling with is actually a culture of envy. There's a deeply dividing culture of envy in the church of Corinth that if not rebuked, quickly it had the potential but to, to become a cancerous poison that would ultimately destroy the church there and that's why paul so um specifically addresses that here in first corinthians 12 in this passage members of the church in corinth were enamored by the publicly celebrated gifts they loved the miraculous so much so that it would often bring more attention to the one performing the miraculous deed and people would exalt and glorify the one that had the, 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 the gifts, the public gifts, rather than instead of 
saying, hey, glory be to God for the gifts that God has given this person because that person is actually reflecting the Lord. No, more glory would actually be upon the person than upon the Lord. And in the West, it's interesting because we love heroes, right? We love our Christian rock stars and, uh, you know, our celebrities that we try to look up to and we try to derive inspiration and, and learning from. We, you know, our culture is enamored by that. You know, we desperately, at a local level, try to keep up with the Joneses. So it's fascinating that even though we're reading a letter to the church in Corinth, I mean, this is actually really a letter to us as well in our society. So let's see how Paul addressed this and addressed this cultural stronghold of envy, uh, starting from verse 12. So that's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As, as it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. Now, what stood out to you in this passage? If you were here a few weeks back, we unpacked our second core value, which was about being Bible-centered. And Justin and I talked about the, the Bible being like a mirror that reflects back to you. So as you dig through the Bible at home, there are going to be some parts that stick out and others that don't. So I encourage you as you open up the Word and as you come before the Lord with the Word of God, through the Word of God, you know, dig into it, journal about it, pray through it, and listen because God wants to meet you where you're at as you dig through the Word daily, but also here this morning. Now, as Justin and I were preparing this message together this week, what popped out to us uh, was that we all need to own our call. You know, as you look at the fact that Paul was addressing the church in Corinth at this moment, uh, and that they were really struggling with this sense of envy uh, and, and, and jealousy over one another and over the public gifts, uh, I, I wonder if the Lord is actually speaking to us and, and, and sharing, you know, and really wanting to bring to our attention today that, hey, instead of chasing after someone else's call, instead of envying how someone else is gifted, uh, we need to actually own the call and the giftedness that God has given us. I mean, just look in verse 15 how ridiculous this sounds, right? In verse 15, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, 
It is not for that reason any less a part of them. I mean, just think about how ridiculous that sounds, that the, the, you know, that the foot is saying that the foot is not as important as the hand, or in verse 16, that the ear is not as important as the eye or as the nose. I mean, just think about how ridiculous that sounds when we think about the human body, yet how often do we say that about ourselves in comparing ourselves to someone else? I mean, just look at verse 18, right? But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. God has created you. He has designed you. He has called you to be you and not another. There's this Hasidic tale that goes like this. I love this. A rabbi named Zuzia, it's a story, died and went to stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, as this rabbi Zuzia waited for God to appear, he grew nervous thinking about his life and how little he had done. He began to imagine that God was going to ask him, hey, why weren't you Moses or why weren't you Solomon or why weren't you David? But when God appeared, the rabbi was surprised. God simply asked, why weren't you Zuzia? It's a funny story. Right? A funny little illustration that we read here, but how often do we so desire to emulate and look after and desire someone else that we actually neglect the ways that God has called us? Now, ever since I was a little kid, my mom um, had, has, has prayed and, and she, you know, she kind of verbally says this to me and, and she kind of prays, you know, I pray that you would become like Billy Graham and, and you know, and, and all this stuff. And, you know, when she says that to me, I'm like, oh, I mean, there's no one, I mean, there's no way close that I could be like a Billy. There's only one Billy Graham. Yet my mom continues to pray that for me. And I'm like, okay, you know, maybe I can like do one hundredth or one thousandth of the fraction of ministry that Billy Graham does. Yet she prays that for me. Right? And I appreciate the prayer. I appreciate that she is wanting, um, you know, she's praying that God would use me in mighty ways. But if I spent my life trying to read what Billy Graham read, do what Billy Graham did, I mean, I would be a failure. <laughs> I would be a failure because there is only one Billy Graham. And there is only one you. And there is only one Daniel M. There is only one. Every single one of us is so uniquely created and designed by the Lord that we all have a, a, a different fingerprint. I mean, think about that. Every single person who has lived and who will live after us will never share the same fingerprint as you. And if God so intricately designed you in that way, would he not so intricately want to call you and raise you up to a unique life and a unique calling. If you choose not to use your gifts and instead desire someone else's, if you choose not to live out your calling and discern your calling and instead try to copy someone else's, uh, you know, because you're, you know, envying and, and you refuse to maybe accept your own gifting because it's not as public as another person's. And not only are you missing out, right? Listen to me here. Not only are you missing out on the adventure that God is calling you to, but actually, actually, it's a sin issue, right? It's not just 
that when we desire so much to be like someone else, it's not just that we're missing out on that calling and that adventure that God is calling us to, but it's actually a sin because we are saying, God, I reject how you have designed me. I instead want to be like that person. And what happens when we do that, when we cease to be the hand we are or the foot we are, and we instead are like, but I really want to be the mouth or I really want to be the eye. And, I re- and, we, and we, we live in this way of envy and of desire and of dissatisfaction and of not accepting who God has called us to be. What happens is we actually serve as dead weight to the body. And what happens when we serve as dead weight to the body is we actually cause everyone else to work twice as hard. The problem that I personally see is that most people who do this know it. They know they're in the way, right? Instead of examining their heart, confessing of their envy, they, and, and repent of their wrongful ways and aspirations. We're just like, well, I know I'm not, I know I'm not, you know, living according to the way that God has called me to, so I'm just not going to do anything. I just quit. You know, I'm, I'm just going to be apathetic. I, you know, I'm just, I'm just not going to be a part of the body because I can't be that part of the body that I think is more important than whatever I can do. You know, or we were like, oh, but, but I mean, how can I serve and how can I uh, minister to others? How can I disciple someone else when I have all this junk in my life? How can I do this when I've done all of this or when my life is the way it is right now? And what we do is we actually pull ourselves out from the exact ministry that God wants to use to draw us back to Him. If our lives are constantly about, Lord, I, you know, I need to memorize this, or I need to read this, or, or my spiritual life needs to be of this standard before I can serve, then we're never going to serve. And the way God has designed it is we are all broken, we are all sinful, we are all messed up. Yet the Lord says, hey, come as you are, because I'm going to work on you over the long haul. I'm going to work through you over the long haul. So instead of waiting until you're all there, God is saying, hey, just come. Just serve. And as you serve and as you come, I'm going to shape you, refine you, and actually use that to draw you near to me. Now think about it. What if, right, what if because, you know, you, you know, what, what, if you're, what if you're the ear, right, for example, right, you know, going on this uh, explanation from verse Corinthians 12, what if you're the ear and you're just like, yeah, I know I'm the ear, but I'm not going to do anything. Or, I don't, I don't want to be the ear, I want to be the eye. So you, you decide to just kind of sit back and, 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 and go back and let, let the rest, you know, it's like, hey, there's another ear, right, I'm not the only ear, there are two ears, right, just imagine that's what you did. Right, and you decided to not function, not work. Well, would the body survive? Yeah, it would. But not as effectively as it could. Right? What if you were the eye? Right? Or what if you were the kidney? And you're like, well, I just not, you know, I'm going to function 30% of the time. What happens is the rest of the body, the way that God has designed it, it's going to come, it's going to assist, it's, and, and, and the body is going to move forward, but not as effectively as it ought to. Now, if you're personally feeling a little convicted, that's good, right? It's good. It's good if you're like, okay, I get that, you know, I know I'm not serving, I know I've kind of said, I used to serve, 
and you know, you kind of did this whole thing of, but I, but I served so much in the church, like for five years. Can't I just take a six month? I mean, I loaded and unloaded the trailer when we were at the elementary school every single week. Can't I just take a break? Like, just lay off me, Daniel. Right? And you know, we, 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 we feel this, right? We're like, oh, but God, I've already, I've done all this. Look at everything I've done. I'm just going to coast now. And if you're personally feeling a little convicted, that's a good thing. Because the way God has designed it is that, hey, what did Jesus say, right? Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And just think about that, right? If Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, and if, and if Jesus' whole life was about service, and you look at the way that Jesus lived, the fruit that he experienced, the life and the adventure that he experienced, and he is calling us, you know, he called his disciples into, and he is calling us into, and if all of that was around serving, then wouldn't it make sense that if we want to experience the life that Jesus lived, that we ought to serve as well? Doesn't that make sense? That how could we truly draw near to Christ and be his disciple when we're sitting back and watching him on TV? Right? How can we do that when we just passively engage? No, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And honestly, the way, if, if, if you're sensing a stagnation or a desert moment in your relationship with God or, or a moment where you're like, hey, but I'm praying and God doesn't answer. I'm seeking Him for, you know, I, I, I love the, you know, today's senior day and I love the way that a few of you are like, well, I'm going to go study this and I'm going to do this. And I, and I love that clarity, but, but you didn't always think that way, right? I mean, it wasn't always as clear as that. And sometimes there are some of us who are like, maybe you're, you're, 40, you're 50, or you're like 20 years into a job, a career, a vocation, and you're like, I just don't, I don't think this is what I want to do, like, for the rest of my life. So you're coming before God, and you're seeking Him, and you're just not hearing anything. Well, maybe part of it is, hey, you need to engage with the body. You need to serve. You need to disciple. You need to be discipled. Because it's in that process that the Lord wants to then reveal your next steps to you. Let's remember, friends, that God is actually more concerned with your faithfulness than he is about any result, than he is about fame. God is more concerned with your daily decisions that you make in secret, that you make in private, than he is with any life-changing I'm going to accept this job or that job, or I'm going to move here or there, or I'm going to choose this major or that major. God is more concerned with all the decisions before that than any big and major decision thereafter. God cares more about your time with Him than your time in front of others. So let's get our priorities straight um, and pattern our priorities after His. Now, let's look at Ephesians 4. You can keep your finger on 1 Corinthians 12 uh, because we're going to go back there. But in Ephesians 4, uh, starting from verse 11, we read this. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, equipping the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, 
growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning, with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the, vo- of the body for building up itself in love by the proper working of each individual part. Now, it's easy to read a passage like this and say, well, God must have forgotten me because I'm not an apostle. I'm not a prophet. I don't feel like I'm an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher. And it's easy to kind of read through this and be like, well, this is not for me. And I don't, you know, I'm just going to kind of skip over because I don't really feel that way. I mean, how can God use me in that way with everything that I've done in my life? You know, we, we say this, we disqualify ourselves when God has already qualified us. When in reality, it's the same Paul. I mean, look at this, 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. It's the same Paul inspired by the same Holy Spirit that wrote this list in Ephesians 4, right? Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Paul wrote that, and he also is the one that wrote what we read in 1 Corinthians 12, And you look at what are the gifts there, the message of wisdom, of knowledge, of healing, prophecy, and tongues. And then if you go to Romans 12, we see another list, and Paul wrote that as well, where it's, you know, the the gifts are listed out, service, teaching, exhortation, gifting, leading. I mean, so here's the thing. You read a passage like Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and, and we often call these spiritual gifts. Right? You read and you look at lists like that, and what we do is we're so consumed with God. Okay, what spiritual gift have you given me, God? Or, have you, or am, I, am I called to be this? Am I called to be that? Am I called to be, I don't know if I can do this or not. And, and what we do is we kind of compile those three lists and we're like, okay, this is going to be our, 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 you know, our list of things that we can choose from or pray for or ask God for. And what's fascinating though is when you look at all three of those lists, right, uh, the three lists are different, I believe, because there's not a definitive list. If there was a definitive list of the spiritual gifts, then, I mean, it's different if Ephesians, Romans, and 1 Corinthians were written by a different person. Yes, it's the same Holy Spirit, but it'd be different if if it was a different author, human author, but it was the same human author, same Holy Spirit that inspired, yet it's a list of three different giftings. What I believe this is showing us is that these gifts that we read about in these three passages are not all that there is. It's not all that there is. There's not a defined set of church offices. There's not a defined set of roles in the body of Christ. And the point of these three passages is not the gifts in and of themselves. That is not. And that's, when we read these passages, I find that so often that is our focus. Right? And we read them through our lens of, okay, what do I have? What do I not have? And how, what is that going to mean to me in my life? But I love the way that um, this author, Jean-Jacques Sermon, put it. He said it this way. It is not so much a matter of having a gift as of being a gift. Now here's the point of Ephesians 4. We all have different gifts, but we have one gift giver. The focus should never be on our gifts or what church office or title or anything that we have, but the focus as we read this and as we look at our lives, the focus of our lives should always be on the gift giver. 
Right? God gives us whatever gifts he gives us. And whether you know the ways that God has gifted you or strengthened you, whether you know that or not, he gives us these things not for our benefit, but for the benefit of others and for the building up of the body of Christ, as we read in Ephesians 4. So when we operate in our giftedness, when we accept the fact that we are a certain part of the body and and not the other, when we accept that and we live out the unique calling that God has given us and we serve one another, what ends up happening is that everyone else is the better for it. Right, so often we're like, no, no, but but I want to know what how I'm gifted, and I want to be better at that, so that I can be better, so that I can be a better contribution to the body. But actually, God is saying, hey, it doesn't really matter what you have; just serve. I'm going to reveal to you the way that you are uniquely gifted, and as you serve others, and as others serve you, that's how you're going to draw nearer to me. That's how the body is going to be built up. That's how we're going to grow into maturity. Um, And our church is going to be salt and light here in Mount Juliet, right? In in Nashville, in Wilson County, and in, you know, beyond. Friends, we need each other, right? This requires all of us. For unity and maturity and growth to happen in our church, we need one another. God has created each and every one of us in his image, not only so that we can contribute, but so that we can all benefit from one another's giftings and callings. Now look at Ephesians 4, the first few verses, and and look at what it says here, starting from verse 1. Therefore I, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, we've been talking a lot about calling in the last few minutes here, right? But have you ever wondered what it means to be called anyway? Like, what does that word mean? Now, we often associate calling with, like, vocation, right? I'm called to be a doctor. I'm called to be an accountant. I'm called to be a pastor. I'm called, you know, that's often how we associate it. And other times we associate calling with some sort of mountaintop experience. And sometimes, you know, we're like, oh, but you can only receive a calling through a vision or a dream. And, you know, we say things like this. But honestly, I wonder if calling is actually more about awareness and of of the truth and living it out than it is about a feeling or an experience. I wonder if calling, our calling, is really more about an awareness of the truth. So here's an example. I, I'm a father. I have three children. And I wonder if sometimes we need to think about calling as in, hey, I am called to be a father. You know, imagine if you think about it in that way. Hey, I, I am, let's say you're a student. I am called to be a student. You know, I am called, right? So let, let me tease this out just a little bit. If we look at calling in that right way, so I am called to be a father to my children. Why am I called to be a father to my children? Not because I feel fatherly. Oftentimes I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I have three kids? Like, who, who ever thought that I would be ready to parent three children? Like, I'll wake up that way sometimes. So, but that doesn't negate, that, that doesn't mean if I feel that way that I'm not a father, I'm a father. I'm called to be a father. Why? Because I have children. That is why I'm called to be a father. 
and I'm the only father to my children. So think about it. If I one day woke up and said, I don't really feel like being a father, would that negate my calling? No, it would just mean that I'm not living out my calling. In the same way, I'm called to be a husband to Christina. Some days we fight. Other, I mean, yesterday morning we fought, right? And, and it's like, well, I don't really like you right now, right? And I don't want to hug you. And other times it's like, but I love you, right? And it's like, you know, and it goes back and forth. But every time I don't feel like liking her, does that mean I'm not her husband anymore? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Now think about it this way, right? If you don't feel like being a student, if you don't feel like being a father, if you don't feel like being a husband, if you don't feel like being a part of our church, does that mean that you are just released from your responsibilities if you don't feel that way? I mean, negative emotions do not weaken or release us from our callings. What they do is they actually remind us of our callings. They remind us of that. And think about it this way. We are all called, as we read and as we read in these passages, we are all called to be a part of the body of Christ. We're all called to that. Whether we feel like it or not, whether you feel like you want to be a part of a church or not, you are a part of the capital C body of, of, of Christ, of the church, because if you are, if you are a follower of Christ, just because you don't feel like it doesn't release you from that. And when you look at 1 Corinthians 12, what we see is that this is actually a we thing, right? Look at verse 22. On the, 1 Corinthians 12, 22. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are dispensable? No, indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe these with lesser honor? No, it's greater honor. And our unrespectable parts are treated, are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together. God has put us together as a church, giving greater honor to the less honorable so that there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. The capital C church is not about any one person, member, or leader. And the same is true for the fellowship. Those weaker or less glorious roles are indispensable. The less honorable, you know, the behind the scenes types of roles are so important and we need to clothe them with greater honor. And the unrespectable parts are the ones that actually must be treated with greater respect. So in the kingdom, as we see through the scriptures, you know, as Jesus illustrated in his life and as he shared with us, the last shall be first. Right? That's a kingdom principle. So let's stop running to the front of the line. Let's stop desiring gifts that we do not have or callings that are not ours. Because he saved a spot at the front for all who would be just as happy to be in the back and behind the scenes in the unseen places. Let's lay down our cultural obsession for fame heroes and celebrities and let's let's lay down our obsession for 
um, for recognition and, 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 and the things that we want to receive so much so from this world. And let's instead follow the words and the call of our Lord to come before him. Right? Let's follow his words to be faithful in the little in all the micro decisions that we make on a daily basis. And let's, as a church, seek to be, ser- let's seek to serve rather than be served. So uh, before I invite the worship team up, I just wanted to end the message by, by sharing how our church specifically lives out this value, uh, plurality and leadership, right? I, in this message, I talked about how every single one of us can, can live this out, right? How every single one of us are saying, hey, we need to be faithful in the little. Let's serve. Let's give. Let's not desire to be someone else. Let's serve. Uh, And if you're not serving, let's find opportunities to serve and disciple because that's going to be one of the greatest ways that we can grow as followers of Christ. But I know some of you, uh, especially if you're newer here um, and haven't taken our, our, um, you know, gone to starting point or gone to our green room, are sometimes wondering, okay, what what does it really mean to be a part of the fellowship? How are decisions made? How is this campus different than the other campus? I I understand that there's one budget and, and one set of elders, but what does that actually mean? So I just wanted to share about that just a little bit here, right? At the fellowship, there is no senior pastor. In fact, Jesus is our senior pastor. If you want a senior pastor, just say Jesus is our senior pastor, but there is no human senior pastor. Why? Because we actually believe that plurality in leadership is so important that that plurality that even though it's going to take us longer to make a decision and trust me i know some of you are like why did it take over a year to find a teaching pastor like a lead teaching pastor right and you're like shouldn't it just take six weeks or three months or you know and and here's the thing that we have committed to as a church is like hey we understand large strategic big decisions are going to take longer they will take longer but it's actually better when there's a leadership, elders that are praying with one another, praying for our church, that you, that as a church, we are praying for them and that there's accountability and, and this sense of, hey, if God is going to call someone here, if God is going to call our church in a specific direction, he's going to bring about unity in and through not just one person, but all of us. Because how often can we trick ourselves into believing God has blessed something when it's actually just us trying to rationalize and justify things, right? I mean, who hasn't done that? So the beauty of the plurality in leadership is that there's accountability in that, right? That's, a, that's so important. And, if it, and I know there are some churches who are like, but yeah, you can do that in other ways. No, that is so important. That is why it's a core value for us as a church. It is so important that we have actually structurally made it so that we have to make decisions together. Because right? some churches could say, oh, we believe in the plurality and leadership, but functionally, it doesn't happen that way. So that's why we do not have a senior pastor. Instead, strategic, large, you know, both campus affecting decisions are made by the elders, right? Are made by the elders. And, and if we, can, can we get our elders to stand up, you know, um, active and in, inactive as well? Just so that everyone can see who the elders are and who you can go to. Right? So we have elders here, and we also have elders. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Uh, we also have elders. Yeah, awesome. Thank you for serving and for praying for our church. Uh, and in addition to them here and at our Two Rivers campus, uh, Len, our campus pastor, is an elder, and Scott, 
uh, Matthews, our campus pastor at Two Rivers, is an elder as well. So together, they're making those strategic, all, you know, large decisions on behalf of our church. Now, what about daily decisions? What about tactical decisions? Well, we have a staff leadership team, right? And the staff leadership team is made up of Len, who is the campus pastor here, Scott, the campus pastor at Two Rivers, Justin, who is the lead teaching pastor, I'm on his team, uh, and also Aaron, right, who's our worship pastor. So they meet every Monday, and they're, they're saying, okay, in light of these strategic elder decision made, you know, the, these el- strategic decisions, what does this look like for both campuses in unison to move forward and to do the work that God is calling us to do? Right? So that's that next level. And then Len and Scott on each campus, and Aaron with his team, and Justin with his team, they're making the tactical day-in and day-out decisions. So that's why sometimes children's ministry looks a little bit different here than it does there. That's why church picnics, you know, it's awesome. Last time I preached at Two Rivers, there was a church picnic there. Uh, and then, like, today's church picnic here. So I was like, I don't know, like, I didn't plan it that way, but hey... Praise the Lord, right? That it's not on the same day. I love food, um, especially when Rob cooks, which is awesome because he's in my life group. So every time we get to go to his house, it's fantastic. So, but you know what? That's <laughs> aside the point. Um, you know, so that's why tactically, you know, decision making, that's why VBS is a different week as well. That's why some of these things are different per campus because you know, Len is leading his team, Scott's leading his team, and that's, that's how it's different in that way. Okay, so does that make sense there? And so that's why in our church, we really believe, that's, that's how we are living out this core value of plurality and leadership.